Our Bible reading this morning is from uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other God gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, for keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not cover covet your neighbour's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Thank you, Keith. There are some significant moments in the Old Testament, and the receiving of the Ten Commandments is one of them. And it's here that we find the Hebrew people. They're camped in the valley near Mount Sinai. And we're told that the population would have been somewhere in the vicinity of around 2 million. So if you remember back to last week and the Lord providing water from a rock, that must have been a river, a river of water to supply all of these people and their animals. But here they are only three months into their journey into the desert just three months in, 
They're now a lawless rabble without any rules. They're no longer living under the laws of Egypt. They don't have a a legal system of their own. They start doing the wrong thing by one another. And so God needs to step in and bring order back into chaos, begin the process of making them into the people who are God's people, people belonging to God. They need God's direction. But how are they going to respond? How will they interpret God's direction and guidance? You see, one of the problems with the Ten Commandments is that we see them as a list of do's and don'ts, as a list of infringements and restrictions. And so I wonder, how have the Ten Commandments influenced the way that you understand or perceive God? How have the Ten Commandments helped to form and shape you and your understanding of who God is? How do we view others? How do we treat others? How do we judge others according to the the rules, according to the commandments? Or do we see them as godly principles? Based upon the Ten Commandments, do we lean toward legalism or grace? How have the Ten Commandments shaped or formed you? You see, most parents understand that kids need boundaries. And so there are rules that are put in place and they are enforced. If you do the wrong thing, then there'll be consequences. But you do the right thing, then there's no consequences that are negative, but there may even be rewards. Was this God's intention with his children, the the Hebrew people? three months in, and is this God enacting the law to keep his people in submission to him? Is this God making a very clear, it very clear that what they must do to keep God happy? Is this God stating that if you step out of line, then there'll be consequences, but if you do the right thing, then I'll reward you? So we might understand the Ten Commandments from a certain perspective because that's how we've grown up, perhaps, under this system. And they might even colour or influence our perception of God. What lies behind the giving of the Ten Commandments from God's perspective? Is it about the law that demands allegiance and obedience? Is it about him declaring his sovereignty? I am the Lord God Almighty and you will obey me. Is this about him asserting his authority, setting boundaries that keep people subservient to him? Like the parent who says, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. (laughs) Or is this about God so concerned about justice that He wants to set very clear boundaries, very clear rules, laws. So a question, is your view of God influenced by the Ten Commandments 
Or is your view of the Ten Commandments influenced by your understanding of God? You see, you might view God as a harsh judge, just watching and waiting to catch people out from their sin. Does fear of stepping out of line, fear of being punished, fear of losing eternal life stem from the call to obey the Ten Commandments? Or if you know God to be a God of mercy and grace, where he doesn't give us what we deserve, but rather gives us what we don't deserve, he is slow to anger, abounding in love, quick to extend compassion and forgiveness, then we may see him as a loving father. and We may see the Ten Commandments in a little bit of a different light. Because we, when we read scripture, we often read how God seems to withhold justice. Consider Moses. As he was brought up in the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh, there was a time when he was so overcome with the injustice that he saw where a fellow Hebrew was being harshly treated that he took things into his own hands and he killed the Egyptian slave master. Nowhere do we see that Moses was ever punished by God for this. It seems that justice was not meted out to Moses. And Miles has reminded us of King David this morning. And King David's example, this is after the law was given. He commits adultery. He then orchestrates Uriah's death. He's not punished directly, but he does lose his own son to Bathsheba and he is more than miserable from this point on. But but God shows mercy upon David when the law had clearly stated in Leviticus 24.17, anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Well, that didn't happen for David. It appears that neither Moses or David are held to account. And this aspect of God's character challenges our thinking and it can challenge our perspective. Where there are rules that are seemingly not followed, does does God not follow his own rules? Is the law then meant to be held to legalistically Or could the Ten Commandments be something other than rules that determine whether you're in or you're out? And what I found interesting is that the word commandment was not found in the Old Testament until the King James Version in 1603. In the Hebrew, the the words of God were not known as commandments as we understand commandments but rather ten sayings, ten matters, ten declarations, ten words. The authorised version was the first to call them the commandments and all of the other translations have followed suit. Hebrew scholar Jeff Benner, he wrote, 
The word command implies words of force or power as a general commands his troops. The Hebrew word mitzvah is better understood as a directive. It's not, sorry, its root word means to direct one on a journey. And so the mitzvah of the Bible are not commands or rules or regulations. They are directives or landmarks that we look for to guide us on our way. So in the original Hebrew, these are not commandments as we understand commandments, but rather ten foundational principles or directives. They're like the the recommended procedures to follow if you want the best result. Like any good recipe, you need to follow the procedure. Or the cake won't turn out so good. So as we come back to our reading, we notice that God doesn't set up a legal system at this point, but rather gives some principles for godly behaviour. It's what he expects. And to gain a little context, we'll go back to chapter 19. And so the people had consecrated themselves, they'd washed their clothes, they'd stayed well away from the foot of the mountain, they had obeyed God's rules at this point. Then following the sound of the trumpet blast, they were allowed to approach the foot of the mountain. Verse 16 of chapter 19. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Verse 18 to 19. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Can you try and picture picture yourself there at that moment? Picture the scene. Imagine yourself there with the people. I'll reread some of those words again. There was thunder, there was lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder. You imagine the scene. This is God coming before his people. And chapter 20, what we refer to as the Ten Commandments, begins with God speaking to his people. This is not Moses delivering the message. We always have it in mind, the things that we have seen, the pictures that we have seen. Here's Moses, but the Ten Commandments, the stones, and he's delivering the message. This is God. This is not Moses delivering the message, but God from within the furnace of smoke. And everyone in the camp trembles. They're shaking in their boots, they're quivering in their sandals. 
It's little wonder that they don't seem to hear what God says. We're going to consider that next week. They're too busy trembling in fear. They're not even able to hear and listen to what God is saying. But they know that this is God who is speaking and he begins in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now you you could imagine a, a thunderous commanding voice. But I want to suggest them some real humility here on behalf of God. We see God in humility. He doesn't start with, I am the Lord God Almighty who is deserving of all power and authority and I demand your obedience, loyalty and devotion. He doesn't start like that. Rather, God reminds them that he is the one who has saved them out of slavery. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And so we immediately notice that the keeping of the Ten Commandments doesn't save us. God has already saved his people. That's his first statement. I have saved you. Salvation is a gift from God. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by keeping the law or by obeying the rules. We're saved because of the humility of Jesus. God has provided for our salvation. Our God is a humble God. And in proceeding to give ten principles to live by, God is saying, I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. I am the God who saves. And although you may have lived in a land where multiple gods were worshipped, I am the Lord your God, and you will have no other gods before me. Remember the plagues in Egypt and how I defeated at least one of their gods in every plague. You shall not make for yourself any form of an idol or a god to worship, not even anything that represents me. Because I am the God who loves you and has saved you, I am giving you ten words, ten foundational principles by which to live, godly principles, to live abundantly. As for us, as for Christians, the Ten Commandments are not negotiable. And so the first four sayings or words or principles of wisdom from the Lord are about giving God the honour and the respect, the worship that he deserves because he is the God who has saved us. We should not worship any other God nor should we use his name in vain. We should honour him by taking one day a week, at least one day a week, to give special attention to him, to rest in his presence. We rest spiritually and physically in his presence. Are we guarding our mind and our heart by keeping out anything that would otherwise take the place of God? 
anything that would dishonour God. The last six words or principles concern our relationship with one another. For God's directions point people in God's direction. And Jesus has something to say about this. In Matthew 22, an expert in the law, a Pharisee comes to Jesus, a Pharisee who has been a part of that that group who had put in place further rules that had not even been given by Moses, comes to Jesus and asks, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. For all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The greatest commandment is not, you shall have no other God before me. The greatest commandment is love. The greatest commandment is not a, you shall not, but you should. Love. Love God and then love one another. These ten sayings or words are given in love for the well-being of his people and the glory of his name. If you love, if we love our heavenly father, then we'll keep the first four. And if we love our neighbour, then we'll keep the last six. And as Paul says in Romans 13, love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. We'll not break the law if we love the Lord, our God, and we love one another. You need not fear breaking the Ten Commandments if you love God and you love one another. We won't be anxious about what we're not allowed to do in order that we keep the law, but rather we'll be eager to do what we can do out of love to fulfil the law. And so as we consider the way that Jesus lived his life, we might ask the question, did Jesus obey the Ten Commandments out of duty or obligation or fear? Fear of being punished? No. He loved his heavenly Father and he loved people and so obeying the commandments was not a duty but a compulsion born out of love. He didn't obey them because they were the commandments, but because they were direct wisdom from God, principles to live by. So as a Christian, these are not negotiable. But the question we ask, I think that we need to ask, that's important to ask is, are we obeying the the Ten Commandments out of fear or out of love? I believe we need to see these words from God not as ten commandments that engender fear, but rather ten words born out of a loving father who wants a loving relationship with us. And he wants the best for us in all of our relationships. Have the ten commandments shaped our view of God? Or has our understanding of God altered our viewpoint of the ten commandments? 
we should be drawn to obey his directives because he loves us and has saved us and we love him. Not because he's a divine taskmaster that requires our obedience for salvation. Otherwise, we'd have to earn our salvation through obedience. It's not about salvation. Loving God and loving people will see us fulfil these guiding principles. They're given in love and they are fulfilled in love. Our focus then should be on loving God and loving one another more. Amen.